welcome back to Think Torah. We are a project of the Intentional Jew Podcast Network. Feel free to check us out on intentionaljew.com, subscribe to our newsletter, and join the movement. This episode is part of a series where I sit down with what I call educators, rabbis and non-rabbis alike, men, women, those who take the responsibility upon themselves to do something for the Jewish people and to get their messages across using technology and innovation. So I hope this inspires you just to understand some of the deeper thoughts behind what they're doing and the messages they're trying to spread. Today's episode, I sit down with Dan Coleman, and you'll hear all about him, the host of the Shema podcast. Go and hear him. That's where I heard him for the first time. A rockin' podcast about Jewish ideas. He's a fascinating Jew, excited and energized to help others around him. And I hope it just pushes you to realize that you have some great stuff to share and find your voice and get it out there. So without further ado, I bring you Dan Cole. So I'm here today with the Rebbe, Dan Coleman from Houston, Texas. Uh, how you doing, Dan? I'm doing fantastic. Thanks for having me here. Can you tell us a bit? I'm going to ask a three-part question here to start us off to get right into it. Tell us, who's Dan? What do you do? What is, what is Dan? What does he do? And why do you do it? Why is this the thing that you choose to, uh, to do? Sure. To understand who I am, I think you have to understand my background. You know, I was brought up in a very Torah void world, like many Jews. You know, there, there's so many of us that were brought up in this environment where we were told by our quote unquote rabbis that Torah is not true. It's made up. And of course, at an early age, I said, oh, okay, well, then I don't want anything to do with it. And, you know, we were brought up that Judaism is a religion. <clears throat> it's a culture. We attach to it out of uh, tradition and heritage. You know, there was a movie that everyone was always astonished when I said I never watched it, which was Fiddler on the Roof. Every time I said I never watched Fiddler on the Roof, they're like, you got to be kidding me. You're Jewish. You haven't seen this movie. Now, if I said I, I never had a bar mitzvah, they'd be like, okay, that's not a big deal. But you never saw Fiddler on the Roof? Really? And so finally last year, I, I watched this movie. My parents were staying with me. And I said, okay, let's watch this. And I forget the main character's name, but he's dancing around singing about tradition. And he gets to the seat seats. He pulls out seat seats and he says, why do we wear seat seats? Who knows? It's tradition. And he starts dancing around. At that point, my heart just sank. It's like, this is what all my brothers and sisters are watching. Basically, he was implying that we have a bunch of traditions that are man-made and they're nonsensical. And we really have no reason why we do them except for a connection to previous generations. And... <clears throat> I, I just spent the next 15 minutes not even paying attention to the movie, just fantasizing about jumping to the TV and grabbing him by his collar and saying, no, that's not why we wear seat seats. You know, we wear seat seats because at Mount Sinai, we received the Torah and God gave these all these mitzvot to us for a very specific reason. But that's what's plaguing 
the Jewish people. You know, they have, they believe it's a culture. They believe that there is such a thing as reform and conservative and orthodox. And the orthodox like to keep kosher because it's traditional. But, you know, we choose as reform or conservative whether or not to do it or not. There's no real benefit to it. And, and it's, it's, it's very sad, especially when it's coming from, they're hearing this from their, the rabbis. Now, somehow, I don't know how, I was able to pull myself out of this. Someone, I believe a, an ancestor or someone took kindness on me and prayed for me to ask the question, is it possible? First, I had to go through the, the, the question, is there a God? Is there any typological proof for God? And what got me to thinking about it was what I call my first Torah book, which was a book on physics, a book where the, uh, the physicists were explaining how they came about discerning whether there was a quark, a subatomic particle that makes up neutrons and protons. And they, they said at first, we accept as physicists that our, our senses, our physical senses have limitations. They can't possibly, our eyes and our ears can't possibly detect all that is the reality around us. And so the way we discover that a quark exists is we use logical deduction. We started with a theory and then try to disprove that theory until we end up having more logical proofs than there were in the logical proofs available for the existence of gravity. And that blew my mind. And that's when I decided there is a process I could go through to determine whether or not there is a God. And that was like a six month process of just coming up. My first thesis was on how birds had a skill set to build nest when there's no bird schools. There's no, uh, there's no way of trial and error, you know, cause I was looking at the bird's nests that I found that when I was trimming a tree and I realized like, even with all my tools and access to the internet, researching how to build a bird's nest, having needle nose pliers and everything else, I could not do this except maybe through trial and error over a course of several years. But this bird just knows how to do this. And that's, that was my original theory that maybe the reason is, is because there's this divine presence that's governing the birds so that they can procreate and continue to grow as a species. And so that's what occupied my mind for six months to a year, just going through this exercise. And once I came through with this idea that without a doubt, there was a creator I had elation for about five minutes until I realized, well, then what does he want of me? And then that led to, is there logical proofs for Torah? I Google. This was before any contact with, you know, Orthodox Jews or anybody in. No, I had no, no contact with Orthodox Jews. I thought Orthodox Jews were a bunch of superstitious weirdos. I had disdain for them. Because I, I learned, I had learned around that before, a little before that time, that Orthodox Jews don't drive on Shabbos, and and all these things. And I thought, how could such an intelligent people be so superstitious? And I literally uh, thought to myself that the way I reconciled it was because there was, because they were only marrying within such a small subset of the community. And the global population that the, the they were not getting enough diversity in DNA and they were creating some type of psychosis. 
So I, I went into this thinking, you know, Orthodox Jews were literally people to avoid um, because uh, you guys all had a type of psychosis that was causing you to be so superstitious. <laughs> and then, but then I, bad. I Googled this and I, and I found papers and papers on these logical proofs for Torah. And I spent six, over six months just reading these every morning. I became very, it's like I would wake up early in the morning and read these and then almost forget like a work call was coming up. So I get so sucked into it. And I think I knew within 30 days that it was true. But I did not want to acquiesce to it because I knew what that would mean. But after I finally had to acquiesce to it because it was just, it was, it was too much. I, I had more logical proofs in six months than the physicist had for the existence of a quark who had more logical proofs for, for the, the quark existing than there is for gravity existing. So I finally had to acquiesce. And then I went from having disdain for the Orthodox Jew to realizing that's who I want to be. I want to be like the Orthodox Jew and I want to be with the Orthodox Jew. And, and, you know, that began my studies. And as I began to understand the, what Torah was, like, I'm telling you, those of us who grew up in that type of environment, we don't even know what Torah is. We know of a Torah scroll. We remember those biblical stories that we learned and a little bit of uh, education we got on Sunday mornings at our synagogue. Um, but we really didn't even, we don't know, and so many of us don't even know what it is. And once I realized what it was, it was like discovering a treasure chest full of diamonds and gems. Just, And I just wanted to hand it to everyone I came across, every Jew, but I realized they didn't want it because they didn't know what I was holding. And, and so not only did it propel me to want to just learn but it's when I found the rabbis at Torch, it, it, to this day, it makes me want to look for a way of reaching out to them and, and speaking to them and getting to them to understand what it is they actually have. They have a bottomless pit of jewels and gems that are right there. They just had to reach down and grab them. They just don't even know that they have access to it. And to answer the, the round out the answer to your question, yes, my livelihood is in the investment area, but what I always tell Rabbi Ari Wolby and the other rabbis at Torch is my job is Jewish outreach. That that just helps fund that role. It helps fund the Jewish outreach, you know, giving Sadaka to Yeshiva so we can create more. Rabbi Wolgenlinters and Rabbi Wolbies and all the other rabbis I learned from. This is, you know, this is my primary purpose is to do just this. Everything else is ancillary and just feeds into it. So that's what drives me. That's what made me want to start the podcast because I thought if, uh, if I could at such a, a low level learning reach Jews who are at my level, but carry them with me because I have access to all these rabbis and as I have questions, instead of just learning in isolation, that I'm learning with them. Um, and we're growing together. Matter of fact, I uh, just got critiqued 
by a, a Best Den here in Houston last week because my wife is going through a conversion. You know, she, she converted back when we didn't know anything to reform. So she is going through a conversion. And we, had, we got on a Zoom meeting and the Best Den just came after me. And had they listened to your episodes? Had they listened to your podcast? One of the rabbis had. Uh, he was quiet when it was coming after me. And, and I understand why. I, I totally understand why after the fact. Because they weren't saying asking my wife any questions. And I understand what they were getting at was that my wife and my daughter are souls that existed with the other nations at the giving of the Torah Mount Sinai. Their nation said, we don't want Torah, but they said, we do want it. And, and meanwhile, you know, later as, you know, when, when, at, when Abraham and Sarah were creating these Jewish souls, these rabbis are basically saying, you're a fiduciary. We want to make sure before we connect those, that Jewish soul with their soul, that you are going to take care of them. And, and one of the things they basically said was, you need to be studying Halakha more diligently. And so I actually just, uh, this morning, because Rabbi Ari will be said he would study with me once a week. I said, well, let's do it. Like let's, instead of you and I studying in isolation, let's do it on a podcast so I can be learning. And then other Jews can be learning at the same time. Uh, and that's what we agreed to do. Um, and I'll add that about the experience of the best day at the time I was, I felt like I had just been uh, in a boxing match. I, I felt pretty <laughs> pummeled up, but then I, I realized afterwards, like that's the best thing that ever happened to me because I want to have, I want to be got standing back up. You wiped off the blood and got back in there. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Because I, I know I was like, I'm going to be standing in front of a best den in the heavenly realm at one point. When do you want to get beat up on when you can't do anything about it? Or right now. So now I'm like, I want to ask him, just do that to me every single month for the rest of my life because I'd rather get, I'd rather have someone challenge me now uh, versus when I can't change, I can't do anything about it. So it ended up being a, a terrific experience for me. And in terms of your of the goal of your podcast, which I take from what you or what you're saying here, is that um, you're trying to make it more accessible and and have people come along your journey with you, which is which is awesome. And I think we should all do that. Um, it's an important it's an important message for everyone who's going through something that you know talk about it and if not blog about it, podcast about it, and let others uh, experience that with you um, is an important message. But have you found that your listeners and your audience um, is following you, is listening to you? What's the range of your audience? Do you know at all? Do you get, do you get feedback from them? I do. Uh, I, I get emails, which is fantastic. You know, if I can have one Jew take the red pill and wake up for the matrix you know, I've succeeded and I, I have, have, have received those emails and that just what empowers me, you know, just keep going, you know, it, it, even, cause if you stop now, there may even, maybe if it's just one more, but it's from an episode you do five years from now, then, then keep going. Now, what shocked me was when I moved into this, this Jewish community, everyone said, I had so many people come to me and say, I listened to your podcast. I was like, well, it wasn't even intended for you, but thank you. You know, but maybe, you know, for those that were brought up from, from birth, a term I learned recently, you know, for those, you know, I, I think it's, we're in an era now where every Jew needs to be in Jewish outreach. 
you know, we, we can't afford, you know, I think back to, you think back to what happened during the, the Holocaust. We had so many Jews assimilating, assimilating into European culture, turning the synagogues to look like churches or just all out converting to Christianity. And there was a lot of religious Jews that stuck to their guns, that followed mitzvot, raised their children the right way. But I have to think, why weren't they helping those Jews? Were they saying, oh, they're, they're a lost cause. I'm just going to help my, make sure my family's okay. But guess what? We all got pulled into the Holocaust because while those Jews may have avoided the truth that they have a, a unique role in God's creation, and that is fulfilling the Torah, the other Jews need to accept that they didn't realize the truth that their family extends beyond their, their, their spouse and their children. We are all one family. We all go down together. We all rise together. And I think that's why I want my learning to continue on by podcasting and bring to other Jews. And I think, like I said, if, if you're a from Jew and you listen to a podcast, you need to be taking that and, and finding and making friends with someone who's a secular Jew and forwarding those podcasts to them and, and helping them come along as well. We can no longer, I, I no longer want to come to this community and say, okay, I'm in. Got my family here. They're going to go through conversion. We're good. And forget about everyone else. We, we can't do that. I, I think about, you know, I read the Midrash on the Parsha when the Jewish people were in the, the wilderness and they got attacked by Amalek. Now, they were enclosed in the, the clouds of glory. They were impervious. They were in a cocoon. Amalek could circle the, the clouds of glory. They didn't care. They were totally protected. Why did they go outside to battle with Amalek? It was because there were Jews that had become impure and estranged from God, and they had to go out there and protect them. And that's the same type of mentality we all need to have. We have to be going out there and bring our brothers and sisters into the fold and letting them understand what Torah is and what their purpose is in the world. And to that point, just unpack it, I think that uh, I couldn't agree more. I think that we're all in in the uh, business of outreach, whether or not we're outreach professionals or whatever they call it today, we all have that responsibility, as you're saying. And sometimes it's even more effective when it's coming from a non-rabbi, when it's coming from a person, uh, maybe somebody who was non-religious or maybe somebody who's just not a rabbi. It's very powerful when you hear, I know, um, when you hear those messages. I know for myself, when I listen to uh, the Shema podcast, it's... Uh, it's just that it's complacency kills us as Orthodox Jews and we get used to what we're doing and, and uh, things become tradition and ritual and that's horrible. And at that point, you need to wake yourself up and say, you know, Shema Yisrael, like, listen, here, you know, we're here. And that's why for, for myself, the Shema podcast, I put it on, it, it wakes me up, it opens me up. It says, you know, if Dan could do this, then we should all be this way. We should all be open and ready to listen, to hear. There's so much on every level um, and you have to believe that to the people around you as well, that it doesn't doesn't have to come from the rabbi from the pulpit, you know, speaking fire and brimstone, and and that that doesn't have to come from there. And outreach can be done, you know, at a Shabbos table. It can be done in non-confrontational ways on a podcast, um, and that's that's super important. So, I like that mission, I'm into it. <laughs> Thank you, I appreciate. It. Why podcasting? And I know we spoke to this a little bit off off camera, but uh, how'd you get started with podcasting and where do you think it's going to go? Well, my, I have many rabbis, fortunately, which I bring onto the podcast. 
I feel like I have so many amazing rabbis at my disposal. That's one of the reasons I wanted to share them with the world. Uh, and Rabbi Yokoff will be is pr- probably one of the most world renowned podcasters out there. I mean, he gets just, just hit one million, uh, one million downloads. One million downloads. It's, and it's just growing geometrically every single month with his downloads. And he's reaching so many Jews and so many Jews that are communicating with him that he's studying one on one with. Um, that are sending him messages about how they've gone to yeshiva now. They were living a very secular life. I mean, he's hitting people. It just, for one, you know, it, it brings scale. Like before when he would just teach in person, this way he can teach, record it, and then send it out there. And it's always out there for other Jews to, to download. You know, instead of giving a, uh, a tour lecture one time and that's it, this has, it's, it has scale to it. Um, and there's Jews, you know, I know that download his podcast from probably every country in the world. And I look at my stats too. It's, there's, I mean, places all over the world that are, you know, listening to these, which is amazing, humbling, very humbling. But he is the one that encouraged me, uh, to do it because he, he knew that the way, the true way to learn, to get dot knowledge is to teach. To take what you learn, and when you study, knowing you're going to be talking about this, it forces you to make it your own, to make it your to take it from just an understanding to knowledge when you convey that. So it was for selfish reasons, one, to help my my knowledge grow, and two, to you know hopefully, like I said, have a be able to reach out to a, a Jew who is who grew up in an environment like me, and let them know the awesome potential and power and responsibility they have in God's world. And do you find that your, your learning besides for the challenges, I know you speak to it on your, on your podcast, but the challenges of just the language and getting into the, uh, the logical, you know, sequences and ideas in the Gemara. Uh, do you find that your learning is channeled towards your podcast is channeled towards teaching? Or is there is there a space where you learn to learn and then learn Torah to to teach? Sometimes I'm just learning to learn because it's not a podcast. If you look at like the subject material of the podcast, I'm not going to do a lecture on Gomorrah. There's 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 amazing <laughs> Torah scholars out there to do that. That's out there. Um what I want to do is take concepts that show the secular Jew why we study Talmud, right? Not, I don't need to teach the Talmud. I just need to explain where it comes from, why we learn from it, how it makes us, how it gives us the potential to have these, these supercomputer minds like, like your brother, like Rabbi Wolby. You know, that's what I want to convey. So a lot of those concepts, I'm, uh, I'm, I'm there to, to learn for myself and my own personal growth. Yeah, there's always that balance uh, for myself as well. I love to teach and I love to podcast and I love to put ideas out there. But there's got to be a place um, that you're, you know, proverbially always filling your cup. Because if your cup's not full, then you can't teach. There's nothing to teach. So it's got to be full on its own and then you know you teach elsewhere so it's an, it's important balance to always strike that yes what's your what was your favorite episode so far in terms of 
the content, just the responses? I, well, a, a recent one I did with Rabbi Yochel Fulby's two sons got a lot of very positive feedback. And I enjoyed that. And I'll, I'll tell you what I was trying to, I, I've always been trying to combat since earlier this year, uh, a lot of the, the stigma about living in an Orthodox community, which is why I wanted to sort of chronicle me moving here and what it was like, because it's so foreign. Like I didn't even know this community, an Orthodox community existed in Houston prior to six years ago. I, I had no idea. And for context, you lived how, how far away from it? I was about 40 miles northeast of here in a suburb called Kingwood. So there's a lot of, you know, Houston's a very sprawled out city, a lot of suburbs. So I didn't even realize there was an Orthodox community here uh, until Rabbi Yokoff will be invited me out here for Shabbos, you know, six years ago. Um, so there was a, so I, I knew that existed. And then there was that movie that came out on Netflix earlier this year, Unorthodox. You know, and I, and, and I saw that how Definitely, it was. I'm sure that pushed you into the Orthodox community. Eh? <laughs> Strong push. <laughs> it, it I think may, that's what they were going for. That's yeah. Cool. They were like totally. And, and I know when that, when that came out, I, I, I told my family who's, not observant to Torah. It's like that. This is gonna be horrible for the Jewish people. And they said, Oh yes, that may create anti-Semitism." And I was like, no, that's not my concern. Maybe indirectly. My concern is that Jews are going to watch it and say, ah, yes, I don't want to be a part of that. That was my concern. So I was like, how can I, who could be the perfect spokespeople for what life is really like here? It's like, should it be a rabbi? Which rabbi should it be? I have so many. And then I realized sitting around at Shabbos table with Rabbi Yochov will be sons who are so Amazing. I was like, that's who my spokespeople are. Just hear from kids what it's like growing up here. And I thought they did an absolutely amazing job. Um, there was, uh, it's become a very popular one. I, I did ask them yesterday on Shabbos. Uh, I asked them if they would come on and do one on Hanukkah for me. You tapped into that and you really brought it out that they're so happy. And they're so excited about what they have and their Shabbos and their father and teaching Torah and being part of a community like this. Uh, and that, that I think that, that you conveyed that. So it's super orthodox instead of unorthodox. That's, I, I was going to call it true orthodox. Oh. <clears throat> but I decided don't combat that. Just come in with the messaging, okay? And you'll combat that, that negative stigma that Hollywood created and, and, and loved so much. Well, yeah, I'm I'm split on that because I think it's important for Jews to be uh, introspective and look at their communities as well and find the problems. And there are problems in every community. Yes, um, Orthodox and Orthodox religious and not religious, like they there's there's issues, and we got to be honest and open to them. Whether this was uh, an exaggeration of an issue or a real issue, or you know, one I don't know. I'm not part of the Hasidic community. But uh, it, it is important. It's important for Jews to be introspective and to be honest and self-aware. I, so, I agree. I'm not denying that that, that may have occurred. I, I'm not denying that at all. But when that uh, situation is amplified as this is what it's like, that creates harm for Jews who are 
considering moving to Orthodox community or, or may consider at some point in the future if that's the only idea they have about it. So, yeah, I, I, I totally agree. Well, there's a wide audience, right? That's what yeah. you're saying. There's a wide audience that yeah. gets that, that sees that. Um, fascinating. And do you get any pushback from your episodes? Do you get, besides the bet din that, uh, pummeled you out in the corner there, but, uh, do you get any other pushback? Yeah. The, the, the best day was Jewish not hate mail. The best day was not coming at me from my, uh, uh, my podcast, but the, uh, uh, no, I've, uh, I've, I've fortunately only gotten very favorable response. I was, like I said, I was shocked very early on when, someone because i was not using my name at all i i was sort of like i'm just gonna go anonymous uh and so my name was nowhere on there i never introduced myself uh a lot of that was because i was considering at the time creating uh podcasts for work and i, I think uh, rabbi ari Wolby did do my banner to say with dan coleman on the podcast but um i i was very surprised someone reached out to me on linkedin uh, somehow they were able to figure out who I, they went to a great effort to find out who, who I was. And he sent me a message like very early on saying, uh, brought up Hasidic, you know, from, from birth. I love the podcast, share it with my, you know, went to yeshiva, you know, traditional upbringing and him and his friends like the podcast, keep doing it. And that's when I was blown away. Just, I had no idea that's who I'd be reaching with it, which I'm still a little perplexed by. In terms of your mission, I think it's very powerful that you have your name on it, that there's no, there's, we're done with that. And this, this really brings into the next, uh, the next part of the conversation is that I think the internet for the most part is done with the anonymous, uh, bloggers, you know, and I think we want, we want to see the authentic person. I think the Torah in, in Torah Judaism and Torah thought, uh, we need to see that as well. We need to see the names. We need to see who they are. We need to see their faces. We need to uh, understand more of where they came from. The they're not in an apologetic way, but just in a you know this is who I am. This is where I came from, and it needs to be more real because that's where I think that's where the uh, online media is today. And that and that really brings me into that conversation of um, do you, what what value do you think that innovation and technology plays in the, in terms of, you know, teaching Torah where we said Rabbi Wolby wouldn't be able to get his podcast out there without uh, really podcasts and, and earbuds uh, that, that make it so accessible to so many people. Uh, do you think that's a, where do you think that plays in like religious thought? Do you think that's a Torah value uh, or is it just a, um, a technical, like a vehicle to, to get Torah out there and to spread Torah? There's a prophecy in the Zohar on the Parsha on Noach that discusses how what is in the what was the year 1840 that there would be a second flood, a, a flood this time of not water but of knowledge from below, you know, which of course corresponds with the 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 renaissance area the beginning of the industrial revolution technology and that there would be an influx from wisdom from above and wisdom from below that would intersect so you know if you look at like how god orchestrated everything he allowed us to discover technology so that we could have a platform and communicate 
you know, he didn't bring about a global pandemic before the technology because that would have cut off him, us being able to spread his Torah. He brought his technology, create a lot of people to, to innovate and identify and learn about his creation to create things like Zoom and everything else and podcast platforms. And then he brought it about a pandemic because he knew we still had a way of communicating and disseminating his Torah everywhere. So I think this is all part of Hashem's design to use technology, which, you know, we, we don't invent technology. We just discover God created everything. We just discover about his world around him, the world that he created. And then now we're using that to spread Torah wisdom. And if you look at the internet itself, there's a lot of stuff flowing around on the internet. Some of it's klipa, some of it's very bad and evil. And we need to take that and pull the sparks from it and, and make sure the internet is being flooded with Torah wisdom and, 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 and using that, that, that vehicle for transmitting Torah. So yeah, I think it's, it's, I think it was part of Hashem's grand design from the very beginning to get to this point in time where we could spread Torah to every facet of the universe, every facet of this world uh, through this medium. Yeah, that's a great, that's a great answer. Um, it's important to, it's a, it's a call. It's a call on everyone who has ideas and who has things to spread that they got to get on the technology and use it because that's what it was created for. And we have to believe that, uh, that that's what God wanted from us and how to use it. So it's an important, uh, important message. I'll add something to uh, that last thing. I heard this uh, amazing lecture uh, a, a month or so ago. And he, the rabbi was talking about the battle of Gog and Magog. I think I'm saying that right, right? One of the final battles prophecies about before the coming of Mashiach. And the sources he was pulling from with that this battle was not really going to be about troops and warfare. It was going to be a battle of ideas. And if you look at what is happening right now, like what I just said, through the internet, we are having a massive battle of everyone's ideas all coming into the internet and battling with each other. And, and that is another reason why what you're doing is, 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 is awesome because the more Jews are out there spreading their Torah, what they have, their own unique insights and Torah wisdom and, and different ways of and vantage points from it, it, we need, those are like troops out in the battlefield of the internet you know, combating against the evil that's out there right now. Yeah, I find that that um, with myself, I could I could always listen to a Jewish podcast or uh, Bill Simmons, you know, or like a good sports podcast or Joe Rogan. Um, I think I'm one of the only people who like finish a Joe Rogan, you know, I make it to the end. <laughs> but um, the more Torah and the more compelling and entertaining Torah there is out there, um, specifically in this space of podcasts, I, I would listen to it over over one of those. And it's important the more we put out and the more we get there um, in in the right spaces in the in the right way, then we can actually win, like really really win each time. Um, and uh, it's a real battle, like what what a person chooses. And if you make something entertaining, you make something really make something nice, authentic for them to listen to, uh, you can win that battle that that small battle each time. 
and help the greater the greater Torah message and mission being spread. Absolutely. So if there was, is there any other, is there spaces where you want to get to? Is there um, any other in technology that you want or, or innovation sort of space, be it YouTube or TikTok? I don't know if you're the right age bracket for TikTok. <laughs> neither am I, but uh, nor the right gender. I'm not sure. But, uh, <laughs> I don't the, know really anything about TikTok. Um, my daughter mentioned it to me the other day. I, I thought she was asking if I had a Tic Tac. I didn't even know what it was until just recently. But, <laughs> um, you know, y- y- YouTube, of course, I, I mean, that's where I get a lot of my lectures from. Uh, I've loved in the evening being able just to go on YouTube and see all my favorite rabbis, including my torch rabbis and all those rabbis, and see the lectures I wasn't able to participate on live or other rabbis I don't know and, and view those. You know, I think, I don't know how much it adds to see my mug while I'm talking. Um, I, I think the nice thing about podcast is that you have it on your phone. You know, when I get into my car, it immediately syncs up to my Bluetooth and I have my learning, you know, as I'm driving in my car or whatever I'm doing. If I'm going inside the grocery store, I can have my iPhone. I, I'm listening to Torah all the time. It's just to me it works some people like visuals too that's a great thing about all this is there's uh people are going to connect in different ways i'm very analytical in how i approach torah some people approach things from a very emotional place at first and there's i think there's people that speak to that um there's some people that like the positive encouragement there's some rabbis i listen to that uh when you listen to them and you're like it's more of it motivates you through fear (laughs) as a Jew. like if you don't do what you do and sometimes like, okay, I had enough of that because now I'm just, I'm scared. <laughs> and I'll listen to something a little more just uplifting, but all that is good. It's to have all those different angles, those different types of speakers, those different venues uh, that connect with people who like to learn differently from one another. Would, do you have any tips for those who have have Torah thoughts, have Dvar Torahs, have things, concepts, conversations they want to get out there? Do you have any tips for them to get into the... I guess two-part question to get into the podcasting space or even uh, like other spaces, maybe they should start conquering YouTube and try, start figuring that out. But any tips for them would be really cool. Yes. So I, I think everyone, you know, identify what your niche is, what you're trying to do. If it's coming from a passion of teaching Torah, it's going to get developed. You know, if, if there's nothing Hashem wants more than us to all learn Torah and teach it to other Jews. So I think if you come into it with that idea, he's going to sort of orchestrate events to find your niche and your voice and which platform is best for you. As far as the technology, Rabbi Yokov will be take care of telling me what equipment I needed. I'm very fortunate because I'm part of the Torch organization that I can give him the audio file. He takes care of posting it on the platform. So I don't know anything about that. I do. I've had, I had to learn how to become an, an editor, which uh, I've become very proficient at. It's a skill set that takes a while, especially when you're doing interviews and you have two audio files and there's mic bleed and you're trying to sync everything up. But the more I will say this, it might be a little frustrating at first, but just keep at it because the more you do it, the more efficient you become at it. Like I can see an audio file and see just looking at the audio file every time I say, uh, 
and you see that you begin to just quickly edit it out and it becomes a lot quicker. Rabbi uh, Yokoff will be posted a, a video too for aspiring podcasters. <clears throat> I don't know if you talked to him about this too, but you know, he really went into the, the technology of how you do it. You're taking the audio file, putting it in Levelator, so equals out and how to use uh, Audacity to edit things out. I think those are uh, something that might be a good episode just to do like uh, a series on the technical aspects of how to do audio. I know at the Torch Center, we have, they've been working at totally equipping it to do videos, like high quality videos with a green screen that's all built and we're starting to see those come out now. Um, that is something that I would bring on uh, Rabbi Chaim Busco to talk about because he's been spearheading just making good quality the video, video production, video production and content. Yes. Especially he's, he's been great at tapping into that more millennial generation that is used to getting information in sort short, you know, sound bites and just making them so entertaining and funny. And just, if you can deliver Torah in, in, in a very, you know, relatively brief period of time and infuse humor through it, to me, I think that's the, the, a great venue. So he'd be someone else I would recommend bringing you on to talk about that aspect. Uh, his videos called the average rabbi, which are hysterical. And he's, he's, he just did a video. that's about to be released. He's doing a reboot. He's going to begin working on content. Now that we got the torch, uh, uh, video studio, totally set up, ready to go. So look out for those. Yeah. And it's, re- it's, it's quite easy to get started. Podcasting is really, that's why I say it's the new blog because, it's quite simple to get it out, um, to do it well. And also, to your point, I wonder what the next generation, the younger generation, which are being brought up on, on podcasts or will be when they start looking for information uh, in 10 years and there's so much information uh, on podcast players and uh, networks and things like that. So I wonder how that's going to change and change the whole, that whole generation. Whereas today it's like the YouTube generation, the quick, the short, the fast, uh, always changing scenes, always cutting. And I wonder the uncut, more authentic uh, stuff that's out there and how that's going to change the generation. And, and we need to be there as to our Jews. And we need to understand the technology of it. And it's important to, because it's not, it's not Hevel, you know, it's not a, it's not a, a, a stupid thought. It's an important thought because if you want to write a book and you're trying to publish it with pencil, it's just not going to work. Nobody, you know, it's, it's going to be read. You're not writing well. It's going to be read the same way with, with these um, platforms. If you're not speaking the language and doing it the right way, nobody's going to listen to you. So your ideas are great, but they're not going to be heard. So the tips are uh, always important. And that's a great idea to bring someone on who, who knows how to do that as well. Um, okay. So I guess, Parting words is, uh, do you have any, you know, messages to, to my audience and now your audience? Cause they, uh, you, you, I think you captured them and they'll hopefully start listening to the Shema podcast as well. So if you have any last messages and important messages, uh, for them. Yes. Uh, as I said in the beginning, every Jew is in Jewish outreach. You have responsibility. So, you, I think everyone has access to Jews who have never been exposed to Torah. So not, so share what you learn, find some, find one Jew, you know, who through whatever connection that is, is just doesn't know anything about Torah Judaism 
and use that as a way of, hey, check this out. This was a good episode. I just listened to it. You might like it too. That That's one thing. And two, find your own voice. Uh, I, I, I think, like I said, there is a variety of ways in which people connect to Torah, to the way in which they learn. And the Shema podcast is not going to be, is not what's going to connect everyone, which is fine because I, the more we are all out there, you know, it's the, the free market system. Who wins in a free market system is the consumer. When everyone's battling to spread Torah, the consumer wins. So I, I'm all for more competition because I want the consumer to win. It's just like with Torah outreach in general, I always say, more, more Torah outreach centers compete with Torch. Fantastic. Because the end result is more Jews coming close to Torah. So let's bring it on. Let's do it. All right. And if people want to reach out to you, if they have a question about this episode or our Shema podcast, where can they, uh, where can they find you? You can email me at president at torchweb.org. Oh, right. The things I didn't know about you. Look at that. That is how I secure my coveted spot at being president of the board of Torch is by putting that email in every podcast. So they have no <laughs> choice, uh, but to keep me around in that position. Thanks for joining me again on another episode. Not again. Every time you join me, you get something great. This is not about me, guys. This is about you, about what you're getting from this. And I hope this inspires you to see the Jewish leaders are created. Sometimes behind a podcast mic. And it's important to see. Key takeaways here from Dan's episode was that Dan is so energized and excited to teach. And he doesn't want to make people religious nor spread the cure of moment movement his point is we people want this and you need to make it available to them and there's so much philosophy behind that as well and i, I really like that i enjoy his energy his excitement and his sense of responsibility so that definitely inspired me and pushed me to get more stuff and do more join us next week I'm going to sit down with another Intentional Jew Podcast Network host. His name is Simi Lerner. If you haven't heard his stuff yet, go check it out before the pod. And I hope you enjoy. Have a great week. See ya.